Hello, and welcome back to Think Yourself Healthy Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Barbieri. Before we dive into this episode, I just want to remind you that if you take a screenshot that you're listening and tag us on Instagram, we'll send you a 15% off discount for the eight-week Retrain Your Brain program. Just take a screenshot and tag me at Heather Barbieri RDN. Thanks for listening, and let's get right to it. Hello, everybody. On today's episode of Think Yourself Healthy, we have special guest Pamela Garfield Yeager, the truthful therapist. Pamela, I am so excited for you to be here today with us. Thank you so much for the opportunity to chat. Thank you for having me. This sounds like it's going to be a great conversation. Yeah, I'm, you know, wouldn't, I wouldn't lie if I didn't say I wasn't a little bit nervous as I hit that send email to you about proposing this conversation today. But, you know, I feel that this is something uh, significant that we do have to raise awareness around and start having some more challenging conversations. In my opinion right now, the whole world is so damn sensitive that we've really lost our footing in terms of feeling confident with being able to express ourselves without fear of offending another or having some sort of really significant backlash like, oh, I don't know, cancel culture, <laughs> to name a few. But I know for myself, this is something uh, that we're going to talk about today that I personally have a lot of experience with in the mental health and substance abuse uh, recovery world. And this is something that, you know, I'm exposed to on a daily basis. It's something that I'm definitely having challenges around navigating and figuring out where the footing is that is okay. So I'm sure the audience is really curious, like, what are they going to talk about? So <laughs> Pamela, introduce yourself a little, tell us a little bit about, a, about you and kind of what qualifies you to talk about this subject before we dive right in. Yeah, so I'm unusual, I think, because I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I'm very much challenging the narrative right now on a lot of topics. Mm -hmm. um, I have over 20 years of experience. I actually got my degree at NYU in the late 90s, and I've worked in a variety of settings, and I've worked with a lot of vulnerable populations, including in group homes, in programs for people with severe mental illness, mostly young, young adults or teenagers, and I've also done a lot of work in schools as both the direct work as a social worker and also as a clinical supervisor where I was supervising up and coming therapists, people working on getting their license for several mm -hmm. years, both in New York and in California. Okay. So. Wow. That's a pretty broad experience. Definitely, um, you know, kind of introduces you to all of it. And California and New York, they always seem to be on the same page, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I haven't been in New York since I think things have gotten a little more radical mm -hmm. um, here in California as things have gotten more and more radical. But it, um, from what I hear from friends and family that it's, it's similar over there. Mm -hmm. So today, one of the things that I would really like to challenge or not challenge, but chat about, and for some, they might perceive it as challenging. <laughs> but what I'd really like to do is kind of open up a conversation around the a narrative and agenda that is occurring mainstream with this whole transgender, transgender identity. So kind of... Um, 
let's take it from there. So what do you think? Yeah. Well, to me, it's wild. So I actually, I have an unusual story. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I, so the reason I think I'm, I have this perspective maybe a little more clearer than other people in my field who have kind of just been in it gradually is I actually got knocked out of my profession due to a a physical reason. I I actually went on disability at Mm. the end of 2016, early 2017. And I think that's when all of this gender ideology, I think it was under the surface, but that's when it really ramped up. And that's when it started to become more mainstream. And that's when they started to do more of this affirmative therapy stuff. And they started using pronouns more mainstream and really pushing it on children. And it was just more, and there was a lot of cancel culture happening at that time, which I wasn't Mm -hmm. aware of. So I think people were speaking up about it, not okay with it, but those that were, I think were being weeded out. So I think that's how, where we've landed where we are Mm -hmm. today. Yeah. But so I, I was out of the profession while things were ramping up. And then I came back uh, at only part time because I actually still have chronic pain and I, I still mm-hmm. get some disability. Sorry. I'm okay, but, you know, I just can't work a full time job. Mm-hmm. That's partly why I'm able to speak out here. That's one of the reasons that's emboldened me. I realized I was sort of called to this because mm-hmm. I'm in this position. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was working part-time at a, an IOP PHP program. That's a program for people who are usually transitioning from being hospitalized, mm-hmm. coming through the, like basically doing group therapy. They usually have some kind of mental health issue. It's a pretty severe one that probably led them to a suicide attempt mm-hmm. or some other serious mental health issue. And I was working with a substance abuse track, the adult track, and the teen track. I was sort of afloat. Okay. And there, when I was working w- with the teens, which they put me with the most because, one, that's where they needed the most help, and, two, that's mm-hmm. where I was good at. And a lot of the therapists <laughs> didn't want to work with the teens, and I mm-hmm. enjoyed it and have that skill. I just saw such a contrast and I saw this wild difference from when I left just a few years before that so many kids were identifying as trans. Most of them were non-binary at the time. This mm-hmm. was uh, during 2021. Mm-hmm. And uh, the wild part to me was how my colleagues weren't addressing any of the issues that were super obvious to me, like mm-hmm. trauma or just avoiding issues that were a, a struggle for them or using it as a kind of leverage to get what they want instead of addressing what's what's happening for them, the pain that they had, things like that. And I, I it was just all very shocking. And because I chose not to uh, go along with the California state mandate, mm-hmm. you know, the thing, I don't know yeah. if I want to yeah. get you uh, right. taken off. No, I, we've already got flags, I'm sure. <laughs> I went through all that med- medical stuff and I had the natural antibody. So I chose not to get the thing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, it was very upset. I was displaced once again, but then I realized this emboldened me to start talking about what I saw and mm-hmm. how shocking this was for me as someone who's been in the field for so many years, working with teenagers, working with, you know, people who have lots of trauma and all kinds of vulnerable issues and, None of that being addressed when the topic of gender came up. Right. It was really shocking. No, I I think that you're so on point here with this and where we're going to take this conversation because I work in the same demographic and I'm seeing the same things happening over and over. And it's becoming this really crazy space where it's almost like 
no one's allowed to say anything that goes against the narrative and the agenda to support this transgender identity movement that is happening. And, you know, with these individuals, um, like you mentioned, why aren't we first brushing the surface of trauma and the vulnerability that these children have been put in that have created some confusion and, um, you know, they're just desperately seeking an inclusion of some sort. That's my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. You know, what are your thoughts? What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of components and obviously there's different situations and different scenarios, but uh, one of the themes definitely is looking for a sense of belonging. There's Mm -hmm. a, I I mean, especially teenagers are looking for that in general. All teenagers are. And then you've talked, you're talking about vulnerable teenagers who are feeling lost and alone and struggling a complete fractured sense of self. Some of them have other mental health issues, whether it might be maybe more organic or maybe something trauma or issues within their families or whatever the case may be, but they're struggling with something and then they latch on to the gender stuff because they get kind of, they call it love bombed. They get uh-huh. this whole community and they get all these flags and they get, I mean, even, even in the program, it was very interesting to observe that even the kids that weren't trans identifying in a way they got something out of it because it made them feel good to tell the trans kids that they were accepted and all this stuff. So Mm -hmm. it was this way for the kids to interact, this very superficial way Mm -hmm. for them to feel accepted or feel like they were doing the right thing when they were completely floundering on figuring out like how to be in society. Right. So what I'm hearing is there's some aspects of this that do have benefit and are healthy. However, maybe this isn't the route to go about achieving that health and wellness. Yeah, I think so. Right. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think it's the right route. I mean, it gives some short-term benefits. It it does make someone feel usually accepted. It usually, I mean, there is a really positive feeling to feel like you're accepted or you're a part of something when, especially when you feel outcasted for some reason or another. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, like I was talking to, so I was in this film disconnected Okay. and, and, um, I was at this rally, this was in October of last year, October 2022, and I was spending some time with a detransitioner, which for those that don't know, that's somebody who identified as trans. This was a a woman who identified as trans for several years, most throughout her adolescence and young adult life. She's now about 22. Mm -hmm. And um, she realized that she is not trans. She, she basically desisted from it. Mm -hmm. And we were standing next to a group of the pro-trans people and they were like dancing around and they had the colorful flags and they were playing music and we were kind of standing quietly kind of being boring (laughs) and we were talking about how like she was saying and I was saying it too like yeah no wonder like look how fun they are look how Mm -hmm. it's enticing I mean and she was Mm -hmm. like that was part she said this that was one of the reasons one of the things that really drew her to them was she Mm -hmm. felt like she really belongs both in person and online so there's the whole online life but even in person she had a new set of friends she had a bunch of trans friends and it really it really gave her something that she didn't feel she had and so it makes sense to want to gravitate towards that if you're Mm -hmm. really feel alone or for your human being for christ's sake yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely well, I, I can say that in my personal experience professionally working in the state of California in mental health wellness, 
that over the last year, the amount of individuals that are coming in with diagnoses of transgender, transitioning, taking hormone medications, all of these things, you know, I... I said to a friend of mine recently, I said, I could start a nutrition practice that focused specifically on individuals who were wanting to transition because a lot of what's happening in our food system in mm -hmm. mainstream is truly working against their ability to actually make a successful transition in a timely manner. A lot of the foods that we're eating are actually contradicting some of these hormonal medications that they're on. And um, anyway, but that's, that's not interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so it's interesting because I'm like, okay, I'm seeing more and more of this occur and there's, you know, we have to take this into consideration, the hormone treatment and all of the things that they're doing. Um, but I'm seeing it, the prevalence of these diagnoses or identifications occurring. It's like exponential. It's crazy. It's exponential. <laughs> And yeah. so this has created a lot of tiptoeing and uncertainty for me as a professional. I have been attacked. <laughs> I'm a health and wellness educator. So one of the things that, you know, I talk about are the, the female cycle. And I have been told I'm no longer allowed to use that word. I'm not allowed oh, to. You know, and it's just getting really confusing when you're sitting in a group full of biologically female individuals and addressing the hormonal components that come along with those biological factors and then individuals saying you can't say those words you can't say female you can't say woman and I'm like I don't know how to teach <laughs> I'm not sure how to educate on this you know and so it's created a lot of confusion for me which has really brought a lot of concern where is this going where are we headed? What is, what is, you know, what are we looking at in the very near future with how exponential this movement has occurred in such a short time? So where do we go as a society if we don't start having these kind of conversations and bring awareness? And real quick, the reason I ask is because I don't feel safe in my profession, having conversations with other clinicians and professionals because of being politically correct and all of those things. It's like, I, I just, I don't know where to go for that support and how to navigate through this. Yeah, it's really tough. And I got to be honest, I have it easy now because I got out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it was, it, it was tough because I remember not knowing what to do when, we were in the private room introducing a new child and the first introduction was what are their pronouns? And usually it was a girl. It actually always was a girl at this, mm -hmm. in this case. And it was often the pronoun was they, them, mm -hmm. or sometimes like they, he, or something. Mm -hmm. um, and even I went along with it because mm -hmm. I was new and I was only part-time and I, I wasn't sure I, I was uncomfortable. So, mm -hmm. I mean, everyone's like, yeah, just be bold, just speak up. And I think if I were there now, I would be, um, because I've also learned a lot more about the harms of this and really, really understand it more. But at the time I knew it was wrong. I just mm -hmm. didn't understand how wrong. How to, yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> fair. So it, you but know, uh, it's tough. Yeah, it, it is. And, and unfortunately, a lot of the three letter agencies that our government has in place to help 
Society to help those in need. Help. <laughs> Can we talk about that? <laughs> for those who are just listening, those were air quotes. <laughs> yes, yes, air quotes for help. Um, in my opinion, these there's many of these institutions that have a very biased, you know, um, opinion and approach that is just being shoved down everyone's throat and creating a lot of confusion, especially for parents. And I say that because you're in, you reside in California now? I do. I am in oh, the Bay okay. Area of California. Okay. So I'm in the belly you... of the beast here. <laughs> so <laughs> then you know that this week, legally, it went into effect that parents no longer can deny their children of any kind of medical intervention when it comes to the transitioning. Mm-hmm. What Wait, are you that- talking about? Oh, you know, the, that, that's not the SB 107, the one where no, we're that a is- trans sanctuary state. That's a, that's a different one. Uh, I was it 106 maybe is what I was referring to. Okay. I'm not, I don't know if I know which, which one 107 there- is. Oh, that's oh, another boy. one. Okay. <laughs> so we're now a trans sanctuary state. So basically people can come from other states and get trans medicine. And kids can do it without their parents' permission, and they'll become a ward of California state. Um, the other one that's crazy here is there's a bill where, and, and this is where I think what you're describe, just describing earlier, and it's coming down from legislation, is there's a bill where all the medical professionals are being forced to being trained on affirmative care, and they have to follow through with it. Otherwise, they go back to training. So even like the janitors are getting this. So obviously, this is a waste of resources, but also it's really being pushed from the top down that professionals have to do this affirmative thing, use the, the chosen name and pronouns. I'm not sure what the specific consequences are yet, but I mean, cancel culture is what comes to mind instantly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Man, I had no idea of this. This is very enlightening. Thank (laughs) you for sharing this information with me because I didn't realize that uh, I didn't have any idea of that 107. Wow. And then I don't know if you know this too, since 2000, I think 11, it was, it's actually been legal for a child to go to a therapist without their parents' permission. Oh, I didn't know that. It's been a long time coming in California. That's been there for a while. Um, one Arnold Schwarzenegger was our governor. Oh, wow. So that, so I, I, I'm kind of awake to this now, but at the time, little naive me was like, well, that's good because I'm nice (laughs) and (laughs) kids that need help will get it, you know, like a little naive perspective. But now I see it as they've been, they've been working on stripping parental rights away for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And it's scary. (laughs) Yeah, it's frightening. And I'm so grateful that my children are 26 and almost 22. And this is not something that I'm having to personally have to navigate through, uh, you know, with my own children. But for all of those parents who are listening, whom they maybe aren't directly being impacted by this right now, but at some point, there is a very high likeliness that they will be. How does this parent navigate this shade of gray, this whole crazy agenda? I got to say, so I'll just be blunt. I am actually not a parent. Okay. Um, I've worked with kids for so long and this is really like, I feel really passionate about this because I just feel like a whole part of what I've done through my life and my, I guess almost my identity or I don't know what you want to call it. My 
my purpose was to help mm -hmm. kids and, and help them be mentally well. And I'm watching mm -hmm. society just completely undo everything that I thought I was doing right. to help people. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a tricky thing. I don't envy parents. Um, I also just a little story. I, yesterday I was out at uh, Davis in Davis, California. There is mm -hmm. lives a TikTok just did a story on this where uh, they're actively transing kids behind parents' backs. Where the, they're training the school counselors to affirm children without the parents' permission, without telling parents, basically giving the new pronouns, the names, that sort of thing. And they had a workshop. They were going to have a, an in-person workshop with this woman. I believe her name is Rachel Pepper, who okay. has been at this for a long time. And because a lot of people, there was some backlash, they actually cowarded and they changed the program to be Zoom. And so, so that's sort of a win. But mm -hmm. a, a group of parents actually went there yesterday. We all stood out in the rain. It's been pouring rain here in California. Mm -hmm. And we stood out there in front of the school with our, with these big signs that said like transitioning is not suicide prevention because that is a lie and a lots of other signs of that nature. And some of the kids, the teenagers were coming up to us. I mean, obviously the ones that have been indoctrinated were telling us we were bigots, telling us that you know we don't care about them. And mm -hmm. they were spewing all this hate at us. And I mean, instead of being angry, I wasn't angry. They're children. I was, I honestly, it, it got to me. I got a little teary mm -hmm. and watching how these kids, in my opinion, have just been brainwashed to not yeah. realize. I actually said to the one girl who was, being pretty antagonistic. I just said, we're just here because we care about you. We mm -hmm. actually really care. That's really mm -hmm. why we're here. She's like, you don't care. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I don't know what her parents are like or what they believe. Um, I know a lot of parents don't agree with this, even left-leaning Democrat parents. They don't agree with this, but they don't know what to do because they're scared. There's a lot of fearful parents who don't want to speak up to be called a bigot. Yeah. Um, so so fear yeah. is ultimately what's moving this whole narrative and agenda and push towards this is that we've all been backed into a corner and fear mongered out of being politically correct and not being offensive, not wanting to be canceled by culture, all of the things. So we just, eh, nobody says anything. That's it. It's, I mean, yeah. Uh, and more people are speaking up. I mean, we were out there yesterday. Uh, and at the same time, there was a group of people out in Washington, D.C. with signs, um, some prominent people that have been fighting this. So more people are speaking up, more detransitioners, the people who used to be trans uh, are now speaking up. They used to be heavily silenced. I mean, they still are, but they're now mm -hmm. learning to well, ignore that. Well, so that's there's... the whole that's a whole nother part of this problem that we have to take into consideration is the censorship mm -hmm. and the lack of availability of freedom of speech and people being able to speak about their personal experience to share in, a, in you know, uh, raise awareness for others that maybe this isn't the right direction right now. So yeah, it makes forever. it that much harder, or ever, right? I mean, <laughs> I at least know. right yeah, now, like, yeah. At least when you're at this age, you really can't know. I mean, right. most people regret the tattoos they got when they were young. So mm -hmm. let's, mm -hmm. you know, be real about this. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about, you know, what even gets a child to the point where they're even potentially considering these things? Like, what does a child, what is a child's going through and exposed to 
that's putting them in a realm that's going to be more susceptible to latching on to this whole transgender identification um, change. Yeah, I mean, like I say at this point, pretty much everything, <laughs> it is everywhere, right? I mean, everywhere you turn. First of all, you can, mm-hmm. I, I was just on Facebook and one of my friends just said, I wish I could sign up to some activity that I enjoy without having to give my pronouns first. Yeah. I mean, it's literally everywhere. Yeah. So, I mean, we think, oh, no big deal. That's just a pronoun. But actually, it is a big deal. This is this is a way to push all of us to, you know, compel our speech and to indoctrinate all of us that this is this is the way and mm-hmm. scary stuff. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's in all it's in cartoons. It's in I saw yeah. like a Scooby Doo episode where like Velma no. had. Did you see that? Where, no. Yes. <laughs> like at first that, you know, they said she was a lesbian and mm-hmm. then she said she was I think it's Velma. I don't know if I'm getting yeah. the right name. Yeah. The one with the shorter hair? Yeah, Velma. Mm-hmm. Okay. Daphne's and, the redhead. Right, Daphne. I don't know if I was mixing them up. And and then they had all the flags pop up behind her, including a trans flag, mm-hmm. you know, for little kids. Mm-hmm. They have the um, Blue's Clues has a whole thing where right. they, they have all the trans people, um, Nickelodeon, like uh, the Cartoon Network. They had a whole mm-hmm. like marching parade with all the, the trans people. And if you look close at the characters, some of them are trans. There's even this... It's strange choice of character, but a beaver that has scars, like mastectomy scars, oh, if wow. you look close. Mm. It, it is, I mean, it is just penetrating everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's in media. It's in, mm-hmm. uh, it's in the workplace. Obviously, people have, have to have these trainings, these diversity trainings, and this is a part of them. Right. It's in, it's in all the movies. It's hard to find a, a TV show where it's not being pushed on you, even on adults. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the schools, <laughs> it's all over the schools. Um, every, I, I mean, probably every, any child that's in any public school, even not, even not in the blue states, have had to give their pronoun in, in one point or another. Um, certain states are pushing it harder than others, certain school classrooms, but yeah, it's I everywhere. S- I saw a really frightening um, article yesterday about Chicago, Chicago school districts and the amount of abuse that occurred within the school system from rapings of teachers, like teachers raping children, um, sexual mm-hmm. abuse, bathroom incidences, uh, just so much. I, I can't remember. I wish I would have pulled that up so I could have spoke specifically to it. But it was really frightening to see the statistics around the increase in abuse upon children in the school districts of Chicago just over the year of 2022. It was like, whoa, how is this even possible? Yeah, that's it's, what's so scary about this. I, yeah. I feel like this is priming kids not just to become trans, but to be victims of some other kind of sexual abuse, assault, uh, grooming is now overuse of a word, but grooming right. to be sexually trafficked or mm-hmm. just because ch- children are being taught to not trust their own instincts anymore. If, right. they, if they're being taught that this is something that you know is a thing, but you're now taught to override Mm-hmm. what you know is truth and have to pretend it's not truth. So mm-hmm. then when something actually dangerous, like some, you know, in their gut feels this is wrong happens, they're taught now to override what's dangerous. And so I think that's, what's making children more vulnerable to becoming mm-hmm. victims. And of course you're putting people who are predators or allowing pred- predators to be in vulnerable spaces that obviously is going to open up the window for more abuse. Right. And Why? 
<laughs> like, why do we have, what's the purpose? Why are we doing all of this? <sighs> why is it happening? I well, mean, I have I'm my just... own opinions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many scary agendas that mm-hmm. you could go into, right? There's so many rabbit holes. I mean, the, right. the, I think the biggest one for one is money, right? Yeah. In okay. terms of all the big pharma stuff yes. and uh, getting people hooked on hormones and, um, uh, yes, and keep going. <laughs> the puberty blockers, all these mm-hmm. things that are going to make someone a lifelong patient. In the right. best scenario, they're still going to be a lifelong patient. And in most scenarios, they're going to have other chronic issues that are going to pop up from this, like chronic pain, bone issues, mm-hmm. um, blood clots, cancer, um, pr- you know, problems problems with their reproductive system system. I mean, obviously they're going to get, most of them are going to become sterile if they stay on this. Right. So, the, mm-hmm. and then, then there's the fertility business that people don't right. think about. So yeah. now we're sterilizing all these children and then they may or may not change their minds. I don't know, but regardless, they might want children in the future. So now there's this whole business where they can do surrogacy or, you know, farm babies mm-hmm. in some shape or form mm-hmm. for people who can't have babies on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not even going to get into this, but I know people really believe strongly that there is an agenda to depopulate our, our world. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's uh, definitely a possibility. Um, To me, it's just too dark to even go there with that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then I, but then there's this weird, and I don't know. I mean, obviously the nefarious people it's coming from, but it's weird that I think the people who don't, recognize this are going on with this, but there's an agenda, I think, to normalize pedophilia. Mm-hmm. And there's an agenda, and I talked about this with Busy on her podcast, to get people okay with transhumanism, you know, mm-hmm. more of this like yeah. meta-universe stuff. And in, in, in my opinion, I feel that that's where this is going. That's the yeah. intention behind all of this. And it does play into population control and it plays into, you know, genetically modifying the perfect obedient Human, right? The transhuman. The transhuman. Who will serve the purpose of, you know, in my opinion, the the 1%, the elite, whatever we, however we want to say it. Um, But it's interesting because you were talking about how, you know, the, the medications, the medical procedures, the profit that goes along with this. And um, yesterday I saw, I believe it was American Medical Association um, released a statement around childhood obesity, overweight and obesity, and that they're pushing now medication and surgeries as the solution for children. And so as a nutrition professional, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I saw like, that stuff. Yeah. No, 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 no. This so is gross. Abso- but again, it feeds into this idea of, well, we can just modify it using medifa- you know, medications and surgeries to get it the way we want. And it's a way of really taking and compartmentalizing the human into this machine that we are not. Mm-hmm. Everything is intercorrelated. And so we have a mind, we have a body, and we have a spirit and soul. And in my opinion... With all of these genetic modifications, they are impacting our DNA and the expression. And we may not be seeing the results of that right now, but we'll see the full impact of it three generations from now. Because everything we're doing right now within our own bodies and in our environment will be impacting the next three generations without a doubt. 
For sure. And that's why I'm hoping as more people step up and we were actually, I was together with a lot of people fighting this and we were talking mm -hmm. about this, that basically we have two options to land in what you're describing is this dystopian nightmare mm -hmm. <laughs> where people, where humankind is basically going to destroy itself. Right. Or we're going to, people are going to recognize that this is really it's not the inclusivity and kindness that it's been marketed as mm -hmm. and people are going to step up and stop being afraid. And so we can save our children and the future generations. Mm -hmm. so Do you think I there's think time? <laughs> Do we have time <laughs> or is it too far so. gone? I hope so. I got to be honest. I almost, I almost didn't even didn't want to do this interview because I didn't want to be so negative Yeah. <laughs> because I, yesterday I had a hard time. Yeah. Um, when, when I saw the, the kids so bought in and there were mm -hmm. several, and they were all girls in this uh, case, again, mm -hmm, yelling mm -hmm. at us, I'm trans and you don't care about me. And mm -hmm. none of them look like they were medicalized yet. They're just mm -hmm. girls, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. look like girls. Right. Um, but just watching them just yell at me like that. I've been in high schools for so many years mm -hmm. since 1997 It's never been like that. And I've worked with the most severely mentally ill people. It mm -hmm. has never been like that. Society has never been like this. Right. And I, was, I just really feel like that the lockdowns and COVID while this was brewing before that, oh, know, yeah. Yeah. but the lockdowns and the COVID have really broken people in a way that I've, that I just, none of us have ever seen before. And mm -hmm seeing the kids act like that was really difficult. I'll just say. Yeah. I mean, gosh, you know, we, we can talk about the trauma of the pandemic and how it has impacted children. I know in my own line of work, the increase in eating disorders amongst adolescent children since 2020 yeah. has skyrocketed. They don't have enough beds and facilities to address the adolescent need, which they is didn't even before. <laughs> yeah, well, they didn't before, but we didn't have nearly the monumental amount of children who are suffering right now. It, it's know. bad. I mean, it's really, really bad. I, it, it breaks my heart because like yourself, you know, this is the world we're exposed to on a daily basis and interacting and trying to support. And it can be very heartbreaking to see how broken these systems are and how advantage they are taking of people for the means of profit. It just absolutely breaks my heart. When I you know, go to facilities and I'm having conversations with individuals and they're like, you know, my whole life, I've never been on meds and now all of a sudden I'm on all of these meds and I don't feel like myself and I'm telling the staff and I'm telling the doctors that something isn't right. And then they're in return addressed with, well, listen, either you take these medications or you don't get to stay here. You don't get to address the trauma. You don't get to build the resilience with, you know, the mental skills and the ability to process the past traumas. If you don't comply and take the med, we don't get to give you those services. And so it's really heartbreaking to see the pickle that individuals are in because they're being forced into a situation in order to financially have their stay provided for, covered through insurance. They have to go through all the hoops. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. 
It's awful. And it wasn't it like is. that before because I've worked I with know. the populations. It wasn't like that. Right. I mean, I, I got to be honest. There was a heavily, heavily encouragement. There was a lot of encouragement, but mm-hmm. it wasn't forced. Right. And usually it was heavily encouraged when it was more obvious that it was a really organic type issue. You know, someone mm-hmm. with a psychotic disorder where when they're not on their meds, they're really doing something dangerous to themselves right. or others. Right. That right. was the times, you know, or people with bipolar type one who mm-hmm. were arrested several times because, you know, they ended up streaking or doing something really out of control because of their manic episodes. And right. so we needed to figure out what was the medications, but also mm-hmm. they worked it. First of all, treatment was not as rushed and mm-hmm. they worked with the patient the best they could to find the right mix or find the right balance right and mm-hmm. talk to them about it and not force them but now wow. it's like the, but it, it's being used on people that don't have that i guess more obvious organic issue that mm-hmm. if they were treated if the issues in their life were treated that they would not need the medication. Mm-hmm. I mean, even myself. So I have, like I said earlier, I have chronic pain. It took mm-hmm. two years for doctors to even believe me what was happening because it didn't show up on a scan. And mm-hmm. what did they do on my first appointment? They gave me antidepressants. My mm-hmm. primary doctor did. Mm-hmm. It didn't help me, but I was crying in her office because I was scared and didn't know what was happening with my body. And mm-hmm. so she thought I was depressed and anxious instead of actually addressing the fact that I had a rare disorder that was mm-hmm. compressing my nerves and wow. giving me severe pain. So that's how, that's how our medical system is working now. Oh, I know. I, I mean, unfortunately I'm all too aware. Um, most people, however, are not. And so in my opinion, part of my job is to help and, you know, educate others so that they can advocate for themselves. So bring that awareness, let them know what their options are, and then allow them to discern for themselves what's in their best interest once all of the information is put onto the table. The other day, my husband and I were watching a TV show. We had to download a free app, free app, right, <laughs> to watch the show. And I was struggling. I was getting triggered. I was like, just not okay for the 46 minutes of this entertainment. Because for every five minutes of air program, There were three minutes of commercials that you had to sit through, and almost every single one of them had some sort of pharmacological agenda. Mm. Yeah. And it made me sick. I was like, this is absolutely disgusting. And so what I thought was interesting as my brain is thinking and going through all this scenario, I'm like, this is not free. You Mm. are paying a significant cost to view this and it comes in the form of brainwashing and programming through the messages that are being shown to you. It's not free. (laughs) You are being influenced without your conscious awareness into potentially making decisions and choices that really weren't aligned with, you know, your highest self and what you should be doing, which is quite frightening because Not many people have the ability to recognize that. They just are going through the motions. That's a free app, right? No big deal. No, it's not free. That's called consent. When you download that free app and you have to sit through those, that brainwashing programming, that's consent. That's how they're getting our approval 
to carry out these nefarious agendas that are working against humanity and society right now. In my For sure. It's everywhere. And mm -hmm. I'm, yeah, so we have a lot in common because that has actually been my mission is to educate people, specifically parents, on what is mm -hmm. appropriate mental health care mm -hmm. and help them understand when I even wrote a, I even wrote a section on medications. Not, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm not a doctor, so I didn't, not telling anybody to take them or not take them. What right. I wrote was, things to consider before you take them to mm -hmm. just how you might make a decision, you know, mm -hmm. just what are the pros and cons and, and what, are, what is the severity and what have you tried first and things like that. So just more just questions to think to yourself and to talk to your, your doctor about so that you don't just go, go along, get along. So mm -hmm. you actually have some like tools to, and to challenge someone that's maybe pressuring you to do something you don't feel comfortable with and to make an informed decision for yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, in my opinion, I know that there is a lot of harassing, guilting, shaming, and gaslighting that occurs around this. And I can speak specifically to the thing that I chose to not get that I had to <laughs> Unfortunately, I um, it has really limited my ability to work as a practitioner in Same. facilities because they receive reimbursements from the federal government and anyone in the state of California who is working in any kind of clinical facility is mandated to have that thing so that the places can receive re reimbursement from the federal government. Um, for the services. And so it's coercion, right? And in, in, in my opinion, one of the things back at that time when I was really thinking about this, like, because my income, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it impacted my professional um, life significantly, as well as my ability to, you know, earn an income. And here in the state of California, things are not easy right now. Just got my <laughs> gas bill and it tripled from last month. And I went through and looked to see why it had gotten so expensive. And then I saw all of these fines and fees that they're adding to support oh, yeah. all of these programs. And I'm like, mm, I don't know mm -hmm. about this. This is interesting. So there's now this big, huge push to eliminate gas, which is insane. Yeah. I'm sure you see that. Going I saw that. Right but I think they actually got so much backlash that they're they're backing off the gas stove. Thing. I hope so. I hope so. There was a joke, I, I so. guess, <laughs> that AOC said that it, like gas stoves make people stupid and then people yeah. made fun of her like, and because they showed a picture of her with it and they're well, like, no wonder. <laughs> I'm just like, my thing is I don't understand people's rationale. How are we using evidence that says there this is gas <laughs> is contributing to asthma, but it's okay to stick this thing into your body that we know have a ton of potential negative consequences associated with it. They just throw things at the wall and hope it sticks and people don't think. That's it. I'm just like, it's insane. So what I'm hearing you say is that ultimately you're committed to helping support parents and individuals think critically That's about it. the choices that they're making, to have the ability to take the bombardment of information that's being thrown at them and discern that information in a way that resonates with their best interests. Exactly. And I actually wrote, because I have so much experience, I actually just wrote out kind of what they should expect from a therapist. Like what is appropriate therapy? And there are okay. so many, it, it can look all different ways. There isn't one way because mm -hmm. just 
I wrote out a whole section basically on different types of therapy, like including art therapy and mm -hmm. talk therapy. And I wrote a whole thing on what dialectical behavioral therapy is and what that looks like. And, or just asking questions, how to screen for an appropriate therapist, asking them what is their orientation and how they work and how they handle conflict and whether yeah. they involve you as a parent or not, because you should be involved. And unfortunately, therapists are not involving parents and in how mm -hmm. you should be involved because it, there is a little nuance to it. And they'll just say, well, no, I need privacy or confidentiality with your child for them to trust me. That's partially true, but it's not 100% true. They mm -hmm. still should be involving the parent in mm -hmm. meaning they should be talking to the parent, get the parent's point side, the point of view. They should be getting the parent's uh, history of the family because the child's not going to know that stuff. And of course, you know, anybody, they don't tell the whole truth, whether it's intentional or not, they're still not going to tell the whole truth. You need to learn different sides of the story to be able to make a good assessment and understand how to treat this individual. Mm -hmm. So you need to work with the family regardless, even if you're doing individual therapy. So mm -hmm. I just talk about all the things that are what you should expect and not let a therapist intimidate you to say, well, this is the way because it's yeah. not the way the way they're doing it now, because now the way is quite indoctrinating and involves a lot of social justice culture, a lot of victim mentality. You mm -hmm. should never be told no matter who you are, that you're a victim of some systemic something or other in mm -hmm. therapy. That's not therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Even if you believe it or not, I mean, I don't even want to get into that. I personally don't believe it, but let's just mm -hmm. say you do. It's still not therapeutic to talk about it in therapy. Right. So, I mean, how is that therapeutic? Right. And then also, let's not talk about how you're an oppressor or how you need to check your privilege because of the mm -hmm. color of your skin. Then mm -hmm. none of that's therapeutic and none of that should be in the therapy room. Mm -hmm. So just all that stuff is unfortunately bleeding right into therapy. There's been a lot of there's been a lot of uh, exposure on how teachers are indoctrinating children in the classroom, which is great. And lives with TikTok especially has done a lot of exposure on that. And mm -hmm. I I started I kind of got on the on the scene because I was like, well, therapists are doing it too, or mental health right. professionals are doing it too. And they're mm -hmm. in a way, certain ways. I feel like it's worse because you're dealing with the more vulnerable, so they're easier to manipulate. And you're in a, a therapeutic relationship. You're supposed to actually trust the person and they're opening up to their most deepest, darkest secrets. And so how are you supposed to be able to tease that out? Because some kids can be like, yeah, my teacher's wacky. I don't care. Mm -hmm. But if you're in therapy with someone and you're trusting that person and you're vulnerable to the point where you might be suicidal, you're going to mm -hmm. go, you're, it's going to be harder to fight that with a, with mm -hmm. a therapist. And then right. they're going to lead them to some dangerous things like mm -hmm. medicalizing when they're not ready and it's not appropriate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are some great points. So for the listener who is very concerned and very interested, how do they get their hands on this guide you have created to help them navigate the whole uh, mental health space and getting appropriate therapy for their children. And the reason I ask is because um, I know firsthand that right now, trying to receive any kind of mental health support in itself is a real challenge right now. So you combine that with not knowing where to even look, where to get started. It can be overwhelming for most parents and they'll just kind of put it off onto this the burner saying, oh, I'll get to that later. And they just keep pushing it and pushing it until sometimes it's too late for intervention um, at that point. So 
Yeah, it's it's really challenging, and that's the truth. It it's difficult. And my guide unfortunately doesn't have a whole list of trusted therapists. A lot of people just want a name, and oh, I can't yeah. give you a name. What well, I can do is give you a way to screen people, and that takes a lot of work, unfortunately. So I love you, and I admire you for <laughs> making it that way. Okay. Because ultimately, we do have to do our own research. Yeah. Otherwise, we don't invest ourselves into the process. And we're just blindly, oh, but they said Dr. So-and-so is a good, you know, great. But what happens when that doctor no longer is in practice or some, um, you know, unfortunate circumstances arises and they move to a different state or something? Then what? Yeah. So we really have to empower people and help them build the toolbox to be able to navigate this plane on their own. And while doing so, they're also passing those skills on to their children and teaching their children how to do the same for themselves and future generations that come. And in my opinion, that is something we have lost all connection with across the board in every possible era that pertains to our basic human needs. It's true. I, a lot of what I say is modeling is one of the biggest things um, mm -hmm. when I when I go into the suggestions of different things. But anyway, to find me, it is uh, www.thetruthfultherapist.org. That's my website. And it's $5 a month just to be a part of this uh, program. Mm -hmm. And I have 11 lessons on there, plus some short essays. And I'm constantly adding things. I'm, I'm actually currently writing a lesson on social media and mental health. Mm -hmm. And I'm writing about the harms of social media. So that's kind of just like a book report on that. But right. then the piece that's, I think, different that's going to stand out from what you'll find is I'm writing what a therapist might ask you to address the issues of social media as a parent. So for mm -hmm. example, what gets in the way? Because we all know, oh yeah, set limits, right? Like that's right, the obvious right. answer, set limits or take the phone away. That's not always so easy. We know that. So, right. um, but it's, it's difficult for parents for different reasons. It might be about their history of their parents being too strict with them, or it might be about them wanting their child to like them or being afraid of the temper tantrums that they've had. Or, I mean, it could be a whole host of things, mm -hmm. but those are the things that a therapist should be exploring with you. Mm -hmm. And what are, what is getting in the way of being able to set these limits that you want yeah. to set if that's what you want to do. So, Ugh. so I'm, so I'm basically in a way saying what, if a good, what would a good therapist do with you to address some of these issues mm -hmm. is what I'm writing about currently. So that's on the truthful therapist.org. Okay. Um, I'm active on Instagram as the dot truthful therapist. Um, I'm on Twitter as red pilled LCSW. Totally different. Love that. <laughs> Love that. So I'm a licensed clinical social worker, LCSW. Okay. Um, those, those are the main places to find me. I actually, I have a YouTube actually, which is the truthful therapist, but I'm not that active on there, but I have a lot of like my, well, it's hard, it's hard for the truthful therapist and Heather Barbieri to be tr honest on YouTube due to the insanity around censorship. Anytime I upload anything and get the message within 30 seconds saying that it has been removed for violating policy, I get oh, really? excited. I'm like, woo, there we go. We talking truth today. <laughs> Moving it over to rumble. <laughs> that's how you know you're doing the yeah. right thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, that's the problem. All the censorship. Yeah. Yeah. We're fighting. It is. We're fighting it, hard. 
Yeah, I think it's just, it's the fear, it's the cancel culture, it's being criticized and judged. I know, you know, as a parent, when I went through my divorce, my children were eight and 13 at that time, which were really critical ages for them and their development. And I relaxed a lot of my parental um, strategies because I was being controlled through fear of losing custody of my children to my ex-husband. And this manipulated a lot of the outcomes that were occurring around my parenting choices. And if there's anything I could do in go back in time, I would have stuck to my guns. I would have continued doing the parenting I had always done up to that point, despite the fear and the threats that were occurring legally in, in my world. Um, I would have said, I don't care, you know, and I've actually had my daughters on the podcast and we've actually had conversations around this, around the divorce, their perception of what they experienced versus what my perception of the experience was. And it's just really interesting to have those conversations and see the different perspectives and then also get the validation from them. Like, yeah, we wished you would have stuck that's to your guns. That's what I was guns. about to ask you. <laughs> I was wondering about that because that's the thing. Yeah. Kids yeah. want structure. They do. They they, do. Like, so the, the, with the trans and just in general, this like there's this cultural push to say, like, we trust kids or mm -hmm. let kids follow. Let's, let's follow the kids' lead. Right. No, no, no. Yeah. They're children. They're yeah. not many adults. And they're, they want adults to lead them. Yeah. I mean, adults want to be led. That's why they're following the government, for Christ's sake. Right. So... Like, let's look at what <laughs> some of us, not all of us. <laughs> I know, but I mean, that's human nature. And right. and so, I mean, children are looking for an adult, a trusted adult, which you are as the parent mm -hmm. to guide them and to tell them what is right and what is wrong and right. what is truth. And so right. we need to do that for our children. They need that and they want that. And they can't articulate that when they're young. But when mm -hmm. they get older, like it sounds like your children just did, they'll tell mm -hmm. you, I wish you were, I wish you were a little stricter so that you, yeah. I, you knew what was right, mom. Why didn't you do it? You know, like, yeah, it was that manipulation <laughs> and fear, honestly. But it's hard. And it's yeah, it really is. And, and again, if there was anything I could go back in time and do, I would have definitely uh, undone that and stuck to my guns um, out of, you know, just uh, benefit for my children. So, yeah, I mean, you had, you know, you had a lot going on, but if you had a good therapist at the time, they might have explored with you what was going on, you know, what is, what are the challenges here? Right. And actually that was one of the questions too, is your spouse on your side with you or working together oh, with gosh. you? Because no. that's, that's another piece, right? Right. What's happening yeah. in the family? What are the dynamics? So there's so many dynamics and this whole like online, like just read, read a, a, paragraph about something and you think you're going to get the answers of what to do. And people DM me like, how do I handle this thing? And they want me to respond in like a paragraph and a DM. It's like, no, you need no. to talk to somebody and explore what's yeah. going on with you. Cause it's, it's, everyone's different and it's deep right. and it, you know, and it, there's a lot of variables here. Absolutely. Well, this has really been an enlightening and enjoyable conversation. I know earlier you stated you were a little reluctant to having this interview because of the negativity that surrounds it. But I honestly believe that we are going to leave the audience with some positivity and some direction in which they can empower themselves to take control and do their part to support humanity and protect the children. So give me your three best tips for those listening on what they can do to empower themselves and drop out this narrative and agenda that isn't serving 
the best, you know, the highest and greatest good of humanity. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I guess think about what's stopping you if you're afraid. What, think about what is stopping you and think about what's maybe real in terms of cancel culture and what is imagined. Mm-hmm. And um, at the very least, start small. So I understand people have livelihoods. I am in this really lucky, unique position where I can't work full time due to a disability. And that's why I've been emboldened to speak out. So I don't sort of judge people for not for having to take care of their families and all mm-hmm. that. But but there's other ways you can still do things. You can still show up to uh, rallies, protests. You can support other people who are doing this kind of work. You can talk to friends and family. If you're just afraid of people rejecting you, that's maybe something to work through. Rejecting mm-hmm. you for talking about what you believe in is, mm-hmm. that's, I, I think, something to work out. Yeah. Um, Great tip. Mm. That's fabulous. Well, Pamela, thank you so much for taking the time to share your expertise and your personal experience navigating this whole paradigm that has occurred in the mental health world over a very short period. It's really, really shot up, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's almost like I don't understand when I went to bed and woke up on a different timeline that accelerated this whole narrative. I'm like, how did that happen so quick? But here we are. And you and I are coming together to share our beliefs and our knowledge and expertise to help empower others to, you know, use discernment, make choices and interests that are in the best interest of you and your family, despite how others are viewing that. That's all that truly matters. Yeah. And I want to say one more thing. I want people to remember that courage is contagious. Ooh. Ooh. I love that. People have told me that they've spoken out because they hear me speak out. Mm -hmm. And now you and I have connected. I've connected with plenty of other people. You're not alone. And you're going to find the people that that believe in truth. Mm. Pamela, thank you so much for your bravery, your courage, your persistence (laughs) to go against the grain and not be manipulated out of fear and cancel culture to speak your truth. I truly believe in your mission. I support you on all levels. If there's ever anything I can do, please do not hesitate to reach out. Truly an honor to have you here today to share this with the audience. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me and you helped me be feel more positive again. So that's really good. So Yay. we just influence each other. That's the thing, right? We're all influencing each other in a positive way. And we've got right. to keep that momentum going. Absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you again. Thank you for the opportunity to influence and share that, you know, <laughs> optimism in a positive way. I do believe strongly that we have the power to get out of this, but yeah. it's going to take some courage to do so. So thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. You are awesome, my friend. Let me stop this. Thanks for listening to the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Do me a favor. And if you loved this episode, please go leave a review. Reviews help make sure that this content reaches more people so that we can continue to heal as a collective. Remember to take a screenshot that you're listening and tag us on Instagram at Heather Barbieri RDN for a 15% discount on the Retrain Your Brain program. See you next time.